So as we get started here, I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. What I'm going to do today is, is rather interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching topically today, okay? I'm not just taking a passage of Scripture and breaking it down, but I'm more so preaching topically today. And the reason for that is because we are spending the next couple of months talking about our core values as a community. And those core values you've heard if you've gone to DNA and if you were paying attention during video announcements because Maggie did a great job of sharing those core values with you guys. And I want to begin today a series. We really started last week and um, we're going to spend the entire month talking about our number one core value, which is the presence of God. Everybody say the presence of God. How many of you guys know that the presence of God is not just a mystical atmosphere where we get all the feels and the glory goosebumps, but the presence of God is the presence of a person and his name is So when we say God is here, uh, we're not just talking about a being, right? We're not just talking about a, a ghost it's abstract. We're talking about the very person of Jesus who is in the room today. Can somebody say amen? amen. So we're going to talk about the person of Jesus and his presence because that legacy church, legacy family is our number one core value. This is what's most important to us is the presence of God. More than we want anything else, we want God. I'm gonna say, I just want to say that one liner. One more time, okay? Because it really captures the essence of this value. More than anything else, we want God. Um, one time, Crystal's dad was preaching in my harvest school, and he said something that I wrote on the front of my Bible, and um, I write it on the front of people's Bibles when we ordain them here. And it, it's this. Seek God. The rest will take care of itself. I wrote that on the front. You can write it in yours. It's good, huh? Seek God. The rest will take care of itself. And I think, honestly, that's what Zach was saying. So as I talk topically today, I'm going to read three portions of three letters to three different churches. How's that, huh? Three portions of three letters to three different churches. The first church is the church at Ephesus. And so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul preaching and praying. All right? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, let's stop right there. Let's see. Paul loves the church at Ephesus. Paul actually spent three years at the church at Ephesus. He loves this church. And he's saying this, I love you guys, and here's why. Because I have heard, there is renown about how much you love God and how much you love people. Wouldn't that be awesome if the world would know that Legacy Church loves God and loves people? 
<laughs> Would that be good? And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's writing, he's preaching, and he's praying for a church that he loves for this reason. Because this church loves God and they love people. And he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, there's a reason why Paul is praying this, in my opinion. This is my opinion. But a church that loves God and loves people is the kind of church that makes heaven happy. Right? They kept it simple enough that their renown was this church loves God and they love people. And so Paul, he loves this church because this church is a great representation of the kingdom of heaven in the earth. And so instead of writing a message of rebuke, which every other letter that you read from Paul always had a good rebuke in it. That's why I like Paul, you know, just rebuking people. And I like that because I wish I was more like Paul. Sometimes I think I'm too nice, you know, but Paul gave a lot of stern rebukes and he corrected heresies. But when you read through Ephesians, you recognize that Paul did not bring any reproof. He simply preached and he prayed because he said, this church right here, this church at Ephesus is a great representation of the kingdom of heaven in the earth. And so instead of rebuking you, I'm going to pray for you. And here's what I'm going to pray because this is the great equalizer. This is what makes all the difference. This is what has positioned you for that renown. It is the spirit of of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of money, success formulas, how to do church, leadership, business. He said, I'm going to bless you with something you need more than all those things. More than all those principles on how to do what you do, I'm going to bless you with something greater. I'm going to pray for a greater purpose, which is that you would receive from the Holy Spirit wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. More than anything else, here's what you need wisdom in, God. More than anything else, here's what you need knowledge in, God. More than anything else, here's what you need revelation in, God. So I want to talk about this quest. I want to talk about the quest that Paul is articulating, which is the pursuit of the presence of God more than anything else. So the title of the message is The Quest in Our Context. The Quest in Our Context. Because I really want to acknowledge the moment that we're living in culturally and then look at the quest that Paul outlines for us starting in Ephesians. And let him really prophesy to us about what is most important today. Now, I'm not just talking about what was most important in an ancient expression of the church, Middle Eastern Christianity in the church at Ephesus, all right? I'm not trying to get back to that expression per se, although I think that it would help us on certain days to look at what the early church did and just do our best to mimic it. Would you guys agree? 
amen, especially a church like Ephesus that really love God and really love people. But what Paul was praying over Ephesus is still relevant today. Would you guys agree with that? We still need revelation in the knowledge of God. If, if, if that's you, just say, that's me. It, we still need wisdom, right, in the knowledge of God. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. That's all of us. That's all of us, right? This pursuit in, in the knowledge of God is something that, that all of us need, even if we ignore it. And to be honest with you, it's what the world wants, but they may not even know it. How many of you guys know that one of the names for Jesus is the desire of the nations? The nations desire God despite they don't know what the desire fulfilled looks like. They, don't, they may not know it's Jesus, which is why Jesus commissioned you to go and tell them. They said, hey, you know that God-sized hole in your heart that you've been searching to fill with other expressions of success or achievement? Well, I've come to proclaim to you Jesus. And wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him is the pursuit of humanity since the very beginning. This is what you really want. That's what Nashville really wants. That's what people, young and old, really want. That's what everybody really wants. Deep down on the inside of them, they are trying their best to satisfy a need. And if they do not yet know that the answer is Jesus, Paul tells us this is what the answer is. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is the greatest pursuit that humanity could ever go on. The wisdom and the, and the revelation in the knowledge of God. Would you guys agree with that? That is the greatest pursuit, this quest, right? It's not really a question, will I pursue God or not? It's really a quest. Because you're never going to find the answer in, in, in this lifetime. In fact, God is going to spend all of eternity romancing you, not just until you die, but all of eternity. He's going to show you different facets and aspects of his beauty and romance you and bless you for all of forever. This quest is going to last forever. You know, this quest, even if humanity doesn't know that's what it's looking for, the seed of it has been deposited into every single human heart on the planet. They all want to know, why am I here? Who created me? What is my makeup? Why, you know, is there a God, right? How many of you guys know that we've all searched and sought after that answer, right? And so this quest here is really one of the most important quests that we could go on. This quest after God's presence and being in God's presence and discovering God's presence and hosting God's presence. This, this quest is really the most important quest that we could go on. But with that being said, I think that most of us have acknowledged at one point in time or the other in our Christian walk that this quest is what faith is really all about. Now, I don't know if you'd agree with me on that or not, but I believe that when everybody gets saved, they get saved because of one thing, grace. Yeah? How many of you guys figured up God enough, you studied Jesus enough to mentally assent to following him? You were like, well, he seems like a good dude. Right? No, you didn't get that. Here's how you got saved. Surrender. Right? You, you didn't get saved as a result of study. You got saved as a result of surrender. Because what happened was the love of God became so immense, so heavy upon your heart in the best way that you yielded yourself to love and you let him kiss you tenderly into submission. 
right? You're like, man, I give up. I give up trying to figure life out. I give up trying to overcome my own sin. I give up trying to, you know, oust guilt and shame from my heart. I give up. I receive the grace and mercy of the blood of the cross. I surrender myself to your grace, and I got saved. And, and when you get saved, you turn this switch on in your heart, and it's, I call it the surrender switch, right? When you get saved, you wave this white flag. You're like, well, I give up. It's on. Yes, God. And you're like, I'll say yes to whatever you want. I just want to be where you are. You guys know what I'm talking about. And for a lot of Christians in our context, that lasts for about two months. Now, let me give a disclaimer super quick, all right? It's the only disclaimer I'm going to give because I felt like in first service I was trying to be real nice and not offend anybody. So I'm just giving a disclaimer right up front. I'm not trying to be mean. Is that okay? Okay, this really, it's more for me than for you guys, honestly. I just, I want to make sure I'm being loving. And, and that only lasts for a couple of months. Because in our context, faith has not been defined by the quest. Faith has not been defined by the presence. Faith, by and large, has been defined by principles. And so faith has now become this index card of principles. That if you follow it precisely, it will lead you to success. And blessing. And favor. You know what I'm saying? And that's what faith is now. Faith is principles. Right? Now, if I follow these things, and I do those things, and I, I do them right, and I do them at the right time, and I, and I do them with the right people, then A plus B equals C, which is my favor, which is my breakthrough, which is my blessing. And that's why we have so many sermons about breakthrough, right? Rather than presence and just being in the presence and pursuing the presence is because we've had to try to figure out how to be a chaplain to people with their switch off. Right? Because we need to make sure that we don't push you too hard to turn your switch on. Because if we had a community of people with their God switch, with their surrender switch turned on, we wouldn't have to convince you to give in the offering. Dang. Dang. I gave the disclaimer already. All right. So I'm in the clear. Right? Why do we talk about money here? This is, this is just side note. Because we will not acquiesce to the culture as it is. Right? If Jesus talked about it a lot, we're going to talk about it a lot because that's kingdom. We good? <laughs> okay. So could we be a community of people with our surrender switch turned on? That valued the quest, right? The pursuit of God at the forefront of our faith. For me, this wasn't really hard when I first got saved. I got saved out of the party scene. And so when Jesus saved me, he saved a drug addict. He saved an alcoholic. He saved a drug dealer. He, he saved a sex addict. He saved an angry person. He saved an oppressed person. He saved a possessed person. Right? He saved, he saved a person that was running from the police, that had been arrested more times than I could count, been shot at. You, you guys don't believe that, looking at me now. I used to have an afro and gold teeth. 
That's a true story. Y'all think I'm making this up. There ain't no pictures. I don't have a slide. God has dealt a death blow to my past. Right? So, no, it's true. I don't, there's no pictures out there. It's literally like God took it and was like, even the memory, you know, it's just like, I'm going to hide you. I'm dead serious, you guys. I know you guys were like, that was, that's not true. You're making that up for a good sermon point. It is the truth. This is who, this is who I used to be. Yeah, that's my mom. She threw my grill in the trash. And I'm still salty about it. Because to be honest, I would still rock it. I would. I would. I would. I'm not lying to you. I would take some Insta stories just to throw people off. Yeah, if y'all want to take up a collection, they're not that expensive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to my wife about it. So are you guys getting the picture of where I was when Jesus saved me? So here's the thing. Like, I knew about religion. I did. I knew about religion as a kid because I was exposed to religion as a kid. But when I got saved, I didn't want any part of religion. I knew that God was real and what I wanted more than anything else was relationship. And so my surrender switch got turned on. And the way that I would have categorized or defined rather faith would be this, the quest. The quest to be in the presence of God. The quest to see the face of God. The quest to be in the glory of God. I had no idea how to do Christianity. I really didn't, despite the fact that my parents were pastors. I didn't know how to be like a good church goer, you know. I thought every church was like the potter's house in Dallas, Texas with T.D. Jakes because I had watched his DVDs and that's how I got discipled was that every night after dinner, my, my mom would cook and me and my dad would sit down and we'd watch a T.D. Jakes DVD and he would pause it when I had questions. And so when I went to church, I, you know, I still had a mini fro. I got a perm to keep it extra curly. I roasted myself. I played myself by telling y'all that. But yeah, I'm set free. But I wore a three-piece duster jacket, all white with the shadow stripe and some Stacey Adams, because I thought that's what every church was like. So when I went to church, that's what I wore. In in the middle of a cornfield in Kentucky, that's how I went to church. Serious. Because, but you know what? Here's the thing. I look silly, but I was surrendered. And in some way, if I would wear the same three-piece suit, honestly, if, if, if I felt that was going to give me, you know, more space to be with him. But I know that it wasn't about the suit. It was about the surrender. And so I, I had the switch on. I said, man, I'm just going for it. I didn't know how to study the Bible. I didn't know how to pray. And so every single day, I changed my cell phone number twice because people were trying to, you know, figure out where I was and, and you know, bring me back into that life, you know. And, 
and hey, you know, come hang out with us, come kick it with us. It's true. I had girls calling me, leaving R. Kelly on the voicemail. That's true, actually. It's true. And that's funny. Anyways, I'm just trying to give you guys a picture of how terrible I was before I got saved. But I get saved, right? Got the switch on. And every day I just go up to the church because I'm trying to be left alone. I don't want to be around anybody else. And I just want to pray and I just want to pursue the presence of God. And so I'm reading the Bible out loud and I'm like, I'm reading books and I'm like, you know, shouting prayers and, and this is what I'm doing. And every night after dinner in the T.D. Jake sermon, I go upstairs to my bedroom and I would pray and I would ask God to show me his glory. Because I recognize that the whole Christian life is really defined by this quest which is this quest to see as much of God as you possibly can in this life. Like, that's what the quest is. Can I see as much of God as I possibly can in this life? If you're going to go really far with Jesus, that's going to determine what you can carry on. Because the further you go with him, the less you can take with you. The further you go in him, the more you're going to have to let go of. The further you go in the spirit, the more you're going to have to surrender. Right? You got to let go of it. And that's what I was learning to do. So I was just praying. I was going after God. And, you know, I decided to, uh, I felt called, you know, to pioneer into ministry. And I knew that was something that was on my life for a number of years. Even as a kid, I knew God was calling me into speaking ministry. And so I surrendered to God. I was actually training to go back, back and play college basketball during the time. Uh, I was really pumped on that. That had been my childhood dream. My first word was ball. I just wanted to play for the UK Wildcats, you know. So passionate about basketball. And I surrendered that. I wrote like Isaac on all of my uh, uh, basketballs. You know, like this is a sacrifice. I'm giving this up because I want to speak. And I know this is what God has called me to. And I moved to a, a mega church actually. And uh, where I was going through some discipleship training. And every day I did the exact same thing there that I did at home. I just went to the prayer room at church and I would pray sometimes. And I know this sounds a little crazy, but for four hours. You know, I would just sit in there with me and my Bible. Like, I didn't have an iPod, you know, when they made those. You know, I didn't, I didn't get on social media every 15 minutes. You know, I didn't, I, I, I was just kind of locked in, man. And, and I just wanted God because I wouldn't have said, man, you know, Christianity is about principles. I would have said, man, faith is about presence. It's just all about presence. It's just all about being with God. And so every, every day I would go up to the church and there, and there came this moment and it really shifted something for me. And I want to share it with you guys. And, and, and I don't mean it in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way, especially towards this individual, but it was one of my pastors and, and we were out hanging out and, and he asked me to go to lunch with him. And I was on my way to the prayer closet. You know, I was going back to that prayer room where I went every day. And he said, hey, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to the prayer room. Why are you going to the prayer room? Well, I'm obviously going to go pray, you know? And he was like, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that right now. We got a lot of stuff we got to take care of today, and I'm going to need your help. So, and I wasn't working for him. I wasn't even volunteering or anything. It was just kind of like, hey, you can get back to prayer later. You know, almost as if, hey, prayer is something you can do anytime. It doesn't necessarily need to be a priority. You don't necessarily need to prioritize the presence. What our priority is right now is principle. We got to get these things done. And so until we get these things done, you're not going to have time for prayer. And I, I, he didn't mean it in a bad way, and he wasn't trying to, you know, shift me towards the dark side. Uh, but 
it just, there's something that shifted in me when I heard that, when he gave me those instructions and he said, hey man, you can pray anytime. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We're gonna work. We're gonna abide by these principles. You can get back to the presence later. Something shifted in my mindset and it's something that I've really acknowledged that I think a lot of Christians, particularly in the American context and our present moment, are wrestling through as well which is this whole idea that faith is a set of principles rather than a quest for God's presence. And so we can categorize our faith by our theology rather than we do our intimacy in the presence. And we call ourselves Christians because we believe all of the right things rather than having intimacy with the right person. Is this, is this okay? You guys... But this is, for us in our context, this is what we've turned it into. It's become this very small index card, or maybe it's a Rolodex, but it's like, it's just a list of principles. Do A plus B equals C. And this is what you get, and you're a good Christian. But if the only thing that I did was A plus B equals C for my wife, we wouldn't have a good covenant marriage. Right? There's this quest, this lifelong quest. I mean, that's what covenant is. It's a lifelong quest that you enter into, you know, with your spouse of doing everything that you can to know them more. Right? But with faith, so oftentimes we reduce it to something that it's not, where it's no longer about presence, but about principles. And I really think that this is one of the major struggles for us in our context in opposing the presence you know, we got our switch off and we're abdicating to principles rather than pursuing God's presence. And I really do think this is the case. And here's why I think it's the case. Because the prevailing spirit of our time is this, achievement. The modern American, in my opinion, values one thing first, achievement. Achievement, success, right? Success, achievement. And because that is the thing that we value most, we've had to create theology to protect the ideology of the culture. And so we've reduced Christianity from a pursuit of the presence to an obedience of principle. We've even turned the whole idea of being a Christian into, well, you're a Christian and as a result, you achieve. You do all these great things. You take all these great territories. You make all this great money. You accomplish all these great things, right? Are you guys with me on this? Am I throwing you for a loop right now? Because I'm trying to like sense the room and I feel like I'm kind of throwing you guys off a little bit. It's just that we've, we've had to create a caricature of Jesus to keep these ideas going. Right? How many of you guys know that like getting nostalgic about Jesus is, is the religious way of ignoring Jesus? Right? But you look, how did he really live? Because when you really think about that, and if you read through the Gospels, and you look at the life of Jesus, and you try to buddy it up, 
to this idea of it's a principle-based religion, that the end goal is achievement, it's really difficult to try to find that in the life of Jesus. And that's why we don't read it. (laughs) Because here's the thing, it reads us, and it convicts us of the way in which we live, and it calls about transformation. And because we've got our switch off, We've got to subscribe to a different ideology. I think it's more of a prophetic message, actually, because here's what I'm recognizing. Here's what I see society clinging to. Mindfulness, meditation, contemplation, yoga. Are you guys noticing this? Because what the world is trying to figure out is an answer that the church has. I, 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 that's what I think because the world's trying to become more spiritual and they're trying to find that in these other activities because the church hasn't been able to offer them presence. We're offering principles. Well, if you live this way and you do these things and you get this stuff and you, but I'm for the, Jesus, Jesus didn't preach the beatitude to achievers. He preached the beatitude to the oppressed. And so he said, Hey, this is good news. And the, all the religious people, and all the successful people, and they didn't, they didn't receive it as good news. They said, did you hear him? He just called a poor person blessed. So that's, so that's what I'm hoping to present to you guys because I really feel that us saying, Legacy Church, that our number one core value is the presence of God. You got to understand, to do this, we really have to cut against the grain of culture. And I'm not just talking about the culture of the world. I'm talking about the culture of the church. This, this is surprisingly a scary message for me. Okay, I'm just, all right, I'm just being honest. No, for me to present it. <laughs> I, honestly. Because I, I, I go through Instagram and I get the opportunity, I, I, you guys give me 10 minutes, 10 more minutes. You know, I get the opportunity I, to see what other, you know, churches or relig- religious organizations are doing. And, and what I see is like, and the ones that run ads, they talk a lot about breakthrough and they talk a lot about principles, but they don't talk much about presence or the person or other people. So I'm just wondering, do you guys give me permission to wonder if that's the real gospel? So that, (laughs) I just, I'm just trying to piece together my words to clearly articulate what I feel like Holy Spirit has been speaking to me as I've been observing this. Because I'm like, man, like Jesus wasn't Plato. Right? He wasn't a classical thinker. Jesus was mystical in his spirituality. Jesus practiced contemplative prayer. How many times he got, he got by himself in the morning to sit with the Father? How many times did he stay up late and he got in the presence of God? But we don't have time for the presence because, man, I got a card full of principles. I got to get done today because if I don't get this stuff done, I won't achieve. And, you know, God bless me. I'm on my way to success and I need you to help me. So let's go. Come on. And 
you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like we got a rope around the lamb's neck trying to pull and tug him to in every direction that the world calls success rather than obedience to what the book of Revelation says is that the people who have his name written upon their foreheads will follow the lamb wherever it is that he goes because that lifestyle is what actually leads to the result of the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of our God, not the, not the kingdoms of our God becoming the kingdoms of our world. So it requires, if you're really going to value the presence, you have to move in an opposite spirit. And it's really tough to value the presence and abide in the presence when you're so like fluttered and, and jittery as a result of being overstimulated by social media. How many times have you opened up your thing, your phone, like first thing in the morning, right? And your day's just trash as a result. You know what I'm saying? That person just put me in a bad mood. Well, why were you looking for people before you were sitting in prayer? You know what I mean? So I should read more scripture. <laughs> Romans 1, 21 through 23. I'm, I'll move quick. For although they knew God, everybody say knew God. We did this in the beginning, but look at your neighbor and say, I know God. Hey, here's what I'm not saying as I'm sort of sharing this message. I'm not saying we don't know God. And, and, and what I mean is like our context. I'm talking about our cultural moment, okay? I'm not saying we don't know God. I'm not saying we don't know God, all right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying people are not saved. I'm not saying any of that stuff, okay? I'm not trying to heap a bunch of shade on people. But they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Right? Man-centered philosophies, right? Belief systems that only benefit me. Right? That's what Paul is addressing. He's saying, hey, hey, look, the church at Ephesus, here's what they were about. Simply, there was renown about how much they love God and love people. There was nothing in there about them loving themselves. Right? And so Paul's saying, look, hey, you know who God is, but why have you traded presence for principles? Why have you created a man-centered doctrine rather than simply embracing God in prayer? And, and here's kind of the question it all boils down to. Are you living for God or are you living for yourself? And that's a question all of us can ask ourselves each morning when we wake up. Am I living for God or am I living for myself? Is this all about me or is this all about him and them? Because God's called us to live in a certain way, but we're, we go unaware of that if where we get our inspiration is from the feed and not from the Father. We need wisdom from the age to come. We need wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, and you're not going to get that elsewhere. You get that from one source in one place, which is Jesus. That, that's the world changers. 
That's the nation shakers. That's those who write history. It's those who move in a different spirit. Who Those who are like contemplative enough to stop and wait upon what's God doing? What's God saying? And I think because we don't do that, we're so mean to people that God actually wants to bring into the family. So look at Peter in Acts chapter 10 on the rooftop. And Gilbert, you can come because I should be finished. I should be finished now, but I'm going over my time because I want to share with y'all real quick. So, hey, listen. <laughs> hey, that's not what our child care workers are saying. One more hour, Lord. They ain't saying that. <laughs> so, Peter, rooftop, Acts chapter 10, right? He's waiting on dinner, lunch. And he goes up to the rooftop because he's going to pray and, and, and not, not, not practice some principles, not check off a box, not be like, I did that, I did that, I did that. Okay, great, I've got success in ministry. I'm good, right? Peter goes up to the rooftop because he's going to He's going to pray, the Bible says, his, his prayers, right? So actually what's implied here is a scripted prayer. Oh, man, we're really, we're really going, throwing for a loop here, right? Right? And so he's praying the prayers. That's what, it, you know, he's praying the prayers. And then he goes into a trance. Now that sounds like a spiritual word, doesn't it? That sounds like a word they talk about in yoga. I mean, you guys see what I'm trying to communicate here? Yoga's had to communicate it, despite the fact that it's scriptural. Because we we're not practicing it. You, you see what I'm saying? So like, so Peter is in the rooftop, right? And he goes into a trance. The word, the word in the Greek there is ecstasis, which is where we get our word ecstasy. Right? And so, so he's having a moment with God. And then what, what happens? He has a vision. And he has a vision. He has a mystical vision, right? And he's practicing the same kind of spirituality that Jesus practiced. Right? He has a vision. And, and what is it? He sees these different animals and he hears these different words. And he's like, oh, I'm a Jewish person. I, I would never eat like that. You know what I mean? I would never do that. Because why? At this point in time, the Gentiles are not a part of the family. They're not being welcomed as part of the family. You guys get what I'm saying? And so Peter gets up from his vision. He gets up from his time of contemplation. He gets up from his place in the presence. And he goes out and he says, you know what? Like religion has kept these people who God loves out of the family. But because I've actually got a word and I've had a vision and a trance from the presence, I've actually got revelation on how to deal with this problem. And so for the first time, in history, Peter steps over the threshold of a Gentile house. This is, this is why we're so angry and we don't like people who are not like us. Because we don't pursue the presence. We just got these principles. Well, if y'all going to get like us, you're going to have to do this and this and this. And, and then you can come in our house. We ain't going to your house, but you can come in our house. And for the first time, Peter steps out of the presence he steps over the threshold of a Gentile house. Somebody's tapping his shoulder right before he goes, they, they probably got pork in there, bro. Don't go in there. 
right? And he goes in, and what happens? The Holy Ghost falls. And he said, man, who am I? Who am I to try to stop the plan of God? But what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to present to you guys is that without a priority for the presence, you have a whole lot of people who never get into the fam, but instead are being held at bay because they haven't checked the boxes. Second Corinthians 3 and 18 says this. And this is what I want to read to you guys as the real posture of a new covenant Christian. Are you guys ready? I'll be quick. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory. Everybody said to glory. Just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, super quick. Can I tell you, there's no separation between your face and his. Paul prophesies it right here. Hey, there's no separation between your face and his. You're looking at the face of God with an unveiled face. There's nothing there except for what you put there. And for some of us, it's this right here. unveiled face right beholding and Paul says as in a mirror how many of you guys think it's tough to see your reflection when you look in a mirror it's the easiest thing it's the most natural thing and that's how Paul talks about beholding the glory of God he's like unveiled face there's no there's no blockade between you and the glory and you can behold it just like you behold yourself when you look into a mirror It happens 10 times out of 10. You don't have to catch your reflection when you jump in front of the mirror. It's just there, right? And that's how the glory of God is when you look towards it. He's not up there playing a divine game of Marco Polo, like telling you, oh, hotter now, you're colder now. Oh, you did the right things now. There's a principle there that you accomplished. And so, because listen, what he says here is that what comes to us from the Lord, the Spirit, is the privilege, the ability, as well as the desire to see God's glory. Can I tell you guys, if you're hearing this today, and I'm closing with this, and you're like, man, I, just don't, I, I hear you, Lyle. I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, man, I, I should go after the presence. But I just, I don't have a desire. Can I tell you, it's not a desire problem. It's a directional problem. It's not that you don't have the desire. The desire is in you through the Holy Spirit. It's that you're looking in the wrong direction. Because whatever you look at long enough is what you're going to want the most. Right? And that's why Paul said, look, here's an opportunity that you have to behold. In, In fact, this passage has now become your pastime. This is what you're called to do. This is who you are now as a new covenant Christian. This is what you do. You behold the glory of God. And as a result, you're transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. You're talking about achieving or competing or succeeding. Let's figure out who can be the most like Jesus. 
<laughs> you know? And that's what Paul says. Hey, here's your promise. Before, before principles, now listen, here's what I'm not saying, that principles are bad. But before principles, presence. Let the presence of God determine your principles. Let the presence of God determine the principles. Principles are awesome. I use them all the time. They're great guides, but they're not God. Right? So even, here's the good news about this. Even when you miss a box, oh man, God's still there. Even when you don't get it right, God's still there. And what this helps us to do is is develop a brand new barometer for the entire way that we live our lives. No longer are we valuable on the basis of our success, but we're valuable on the basis of his spirit. You guys with me? I'm valuable because I'm a son. I'm valuable because I got the Holy Ghost. I'm valuable because the blood of Jesus has redeemed me. I'm valuable because I'm walking in a fresh mercy that is new today. I'm not, I'm not valuable because what I've done or, or the success I have or the achievement that I've accomplished. That's why I say, guys, that being a house that values the presence above all else is so prophetic. And it really does cut against the grain of common culture. Because what culture wants us to do is to be categorized by our passions and ideas that are hot button issues in the news. And so they say, that's a church that's about that. Or that's a church that's about that. Or that's a church that's about that. Can I tell you all of that, whatever that is, is not a very transforming idea. Jesus is what we have to be after. Jesus is what we have to be after. His presence, his person, being with him, this is what we have to be after. If you agree with that, just stand up. We're going to pray. So I'm going to make it a quick prayer because I know I've kind of gone over time by about good 18 minutes maybe. Yeah, if you guys got to go, you can go. We bless you. We love you. So, Lord, here's what I, here's what I pray. It's a simple prayer. God, cause us. Holy Spirit, cause us to move in a direction of your person, of your presence, of you, of your face. Not just your hands for what you can give us, but your face for who you are. I said this first service, I think it's important enough to say again. When you say, I repent, it's not like saying abracadabra. It's just that all of a sudden, all of your desires are completely different. Now, sometimes that's the case, but that's not always the case. Repentance is not just about your desire. It's about your direction. It's about making a choice with the help of God and the supernatural grace that he's freely given to you to move in a different direction, to move in a different direction. You say, I'm not going that direction anymore. I'm moving in a different direction. This is the priority of my life. It is presence. I must see God. I must see God. I must see God. So Lord, if you need to, 
You can repent for a moment, God. We repent collectively as a body. We repent for looking for other things before we look for you. That's what this month is about, just discovering and hosting your presence and talking from that place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we declare, in Jesus' name, may we be a reflection of the kingdom of God in the 21st century in America. In Jesus' name, can we change whatever we need to change to be more like the heaven. Kingdom come, your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.